Welcome to season 2 of the Digitalization and Diversity podcast, a show that tells personal stories and digital journeys of diverse people. My name is Adya and I am your host. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode on season 2 of the Digitalization and Diversity podcast. Today we are going to be talking about a serious topic but also a topic that is not so openly spoken about the theme of the episode today is black and tech gender outlaw and gender discrimination and to have an open dialogue on this topic i have invited sara boda to the show sara is from tanzania in east africa where she grew up before moving to the uk and then germany for university Sarah currently lives in Germany and works as a project manager at SAP. Her passions have always been people topics. Being a woman made her a target for negative gender discrimination growing up. And being black, Sarah is a minority in both the industry she works for and the country she lives in today. Sarah knows the struggle. and she wants to spend her life making sure that one day no one has to deal with that struggle sarah you have such an interesting and impressive profile and i'm so glad that we got connected on linkedin and then on instagram and i want to kick off the episode with diving into your passions and interests what motivated you to be a strong supporter of black in tech Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me here today. It's really such an honor to be able to sit down and talk to you about these important topics and thank you for creating a platform for people's voices to be heard when it comes to these topics. So, I think being myself that I'm black in tech, I've seen a lot of things wrong when it comes to the numbers in our industries. I mean, if you just look at the statistics, you know, for example, in the US, as of 2018, black people only made up 8% of the tech workforce, and I believe as of 2020, 67% of tech companies had less than 5% of black employees. So you know, tech is an industry that's shaping our future and we need equal representation in order to shape a future that's equal for all. So the question really comes is why are black people underrepresented in tech? Well, I wouldn't say it's our fault, you know. I think we're being shut out of these opportunities in many parts of the world and I once saw a study, I believe the study was done in 2014 and from the 50,000 employees at Google 83% were men 60% were white and 30% were asian just 2.9% were latino and only 1.9% were black and those are pretty scaring and disappointing numbers right and then you know i think google announced that they would dedicate 150 million dollars to increasing diversity at the company and i believe as of 2020 they had 3.7% black employees now this just goes to show that the problem itself needs to be solved from within these major companies it's not a problem of outsourcing and a lot of the times you'll hear oh it's a pipeline problem which simply isn't true i mean in 2016 8.6 of the graduates in the us with bachelor degrees in computer and information science were black so it's simply a lack of hiring black people and promoting black employees so even when black employees do get into these industries their journey within the industry is faced with a lot more challenges than their white counterparts which of course then results in a lack of retention of the few black employees these companies 
do have because there's tends to be um, a lack of a support system. And, you know, in a lot of our society, we do see a culture and a system in many parts of the world that caters and promotes lighter skin. And this is a really, really sad reality, you know, and our organizations are made up of our societies and communities. So we can't expect the culture within our organizations to differ so much unless we make the effort to make that difference and change the culture from within. I mean, who's going to want to get into an industry where they know their success rate in that industry is low, right? So in return, we're also killing the enthusiasm for young Black people to want to venture into tech. And this is not just for organizations. I mean, I'm talking about even tech entrepreneurs, for example. If you look at the numbers of funding for entrepreneurs, the amount that Black founders get is nearly nothing. And, you know, then you look at leaders in tech, for example, in the Fortune 568-year history, they only had 24 Black CEOs named. And if you look at the U.S., um, at least as of 2019, if you look at all the industry CEOs, 81% of them were white. 3.2% of the CEOs were Black or African-American. So again, without that representation at the top level of our industries, what exactly do we expect to trickle down? Exactly what culture do we expect? Well, obviously the same one as that's being represented at the top. So essentially, I think it's important that we have equal representation among everyone in this industry. Because like I said, this is an industry that's shaping our future for tomorrow. We're not trying to shape a future for just one group of people. And we need fair opportunities. We need equal opportunities. And when those are taken away from a group of people purely because of their race, it's crazy to me how we can like sit back and act like everything is fine. No, something needs to be done. And that's why I'm personally so motivated when it comes to this topic, because I see a problem. I see a problem that's going to impact us in the long run. So I believe that that now is the time we should be putting all our efforts in as a society, as communities, as organizations to fixing that problem. First of all, I feel that I can really hear a lot the motivation and the passion behind this topic. And I love that you have brought forward so many facts and figures which speak for themselves because this topic sometimes is taken in a very subjective manner. For example, you said that, yeah, the ratio of low women, low um, low black hires is a sourcing problem and a hiring problem and a pipeline problem, whereas the facts and figures really showed that's not the case. And the data is only a representation of the reality, but the reality itself is across the whole employee life cycle, right from the sourcing to retention to retaining them for the long term. And this is a long term issue. And I agree with that because it is also a question to what extent do organizations take responsibility for integration in society as a whole, for making sure that there is enough representation in society, enough representation of all diversity dimensions. And in our last conversation, I remember that we talked about the different diversity dimensions. And of course, today, gender as a standalone diversity dimension is the most prevalent one. And I remember that in the last season, so in season one, I think it was episode nine, I had Stefano Bonuto on the show to talk about his experience being a man, identifying as a man, but really choosing to dress in feminine clothes and the kind of challenges that he has had to face in the personal and the professional space. And I know that you identify as a gender outlaw, and for listeners who might not be familiar so much with that term, could you first explain what being a gender outlaw means? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I absolutely feel, I actually listened to that episode you just mentioned, and I really felt everything he was saying and identified with it because I think that goes to show where our core problem is. So a gender outlaw by official definition is a person who refuses to be defined by conventional definitions of male and female or someone who refuses any and all attempts to be labeled as a specific gender. So for me, it's really simple. Gender is just a man-made concept, right? I accept my sex, but what gender does is it takes those sexes and puts them in a box. It gives them characteristics, definitions. And when you feel like you don't fit into those definitions, you're stepping out of your gender norm. So it's crazy because we associate everything in life to gender. We associate everything to this man-made concept. Things like perfume smells, colors, careers, clothing, like what you had just mentioned. It's ridiculous for me because these are all things that should have nothing to do with the gender. So from the moment you're born, you're put into this gender box and you're expected to act in a way that that gender tells you to act. You're supposed to think in a way that gender tells you to think, dress in a way that gender tells you to dress, have life goals based on what your gender life goals should be. And our whole existence has been planned by someone else who took our sexes and decided to refine them into roles in our society. And I know I accept my sex as a female, but I don't associate with any gender. I'm just me. I like what I like. I do what I do. And it has nothing to do with my gender. It's only related to my personal interests and needs as Sarah, not as a woman. So for me, I don't call myself a woman because that's just taking a female and putting her in a box and saying, you have to be like this, act like this and do this. And why, why do we do that? And then the moment, like you said, for the other podcast episode you have, the moment a man decides like, hey, I like female clothing He's stepping out of the norm and everyone is looking at this person like, what is wrong with you? But really, we should be thinking, what is wrong with us? We're actually judging someone because of the clothing they decide to put on their body because somebody long ago decided that a skirt would only be for women. Well, who had that right to do that? It is just clothing at the end of the day. So for me, being a gender outlaw is kind of speaking my truth where I know who I am and I know what I want out of my life and I know what my interests are. I know my characteristics and they have nothing to do with me being a woman. They're just me as Sarah. And a lot of it is actually just plain awareness and plain understanding of recognizing one's own biases Because gender really refers to how a person identifies. And as you said, oftentimes it is incorrectly interchanged with the term sex of a person, which is really assigned to a person at the time of birth on the basis of external anatomy, basically. And gender can take up different forms. And it is really an expression of one's own personal identity and a person's internal perception of their own gender and of course, this has been guided by, by a lot of legal and societal norms and behavioral characteristics historically. But this is changing today now because of increasing acceptance and even awareness of the broad spectrum that gender kind of encompasses today. And this also changes, right, with time because these days, probably you've also noticed and across all the social platforms that people are choosing to identify their pronouns For example, I go with the pronoun of she or her. And pronouns refer to somebody who wants to identify with a particular gender based on their preferences. And instead of assuming somebody's gender based on one's own perception, I think it's super important for inclusion of really diverse genders and identities 
to make asking pronouns and knowing about pronouns of different people a norm to make sure that everybody is really included and is addressed by the way they want to be addressed. I'm going to circle back on the topic of race and your experience being black. And I know that right now, today, you live in Germany. How has your lived experience been being a person of color in Germany? And to what extent did you have to adapt to fit in? I would say my experience was a shock, to say the least. You know, growing up in Tanzania, I never faced any form of racism or discrimination, to be honest. And of course, I knew that from social media and from the news that racism was going on heavily in other parts of the world. But for me, that was another world. I felt very protected and privileged to not have seen any of that myself or experienced it. But when I moved here, that's when it really hit me that my skin color and how I look would play a role in what people saw in me, what they expected me to be, how they would treat me and even what opportunities I would get. And that was a real, real shock for me because I had never experienced anything like that in my life. And, you know, it took a while for me for that to like really sink in. I think the first year I was here and I've been here now for almost four years, I was very naive to it. I didn't realize what was going on. And when I finally did, and it really sunk in, it was like a punch in the gut. I started, you know, thinking about all the people I've met, all the people I've interacted with, whether it was good or bad interactions. I was just thinking through every part of my life here in Germany so far and realizing how much of it race played a role into all those parts of my life. You know, I thought the interactions and experiences I were having were just common for everybody. But then I knew and realized that, no, they were actually tailored to my race. So whether, you know, it was who chose to talk to me, who chose to be a close friend of mine or what people would assume I do for my career, it was all based on the race and the way I look. And I guess the fact that I stayed naive to it for a while was maybe a good thing because I didn't realize I needed to try fit in. But by the time I did realize that people were judging me because of those things, it was kind of already too late to try fit in because, and I'm really glad about that, by the way, but it was like, I was already at a place in my life where I felt established enough that I didn't need to try please anyone around me in order to be able to make it. Or I didn't need to make anyone around me feel comfortable just to make it. I was already at a good place. And I'm so glad I was because... I think there always would have been that pressure. If I had realized sooner that my race was playing a role in every part of my life here, I would have tried to adjust some things. I think that's natural human instinct that, you know, it's like survival of the fittest. You're going to try do what you need to do to survive and make it. But the fact that I didn't realize that, and I, I'm still where I am today, kind of shows me that I didn't need to try fit in. I didn't need to adjust or alter who I am to try fit in. And I'm so glad that I was naive to that for a while. Because, you know, to me, fitting in simply means not standing out. And that's an approach that I'm always trying to avoid. I personally enjoy standing out. And I think it's important for me as a person of color here to stand out and showcase what it means to be a person of color, to showcase what we're achieving, what we stand for, because I think it's important to challenge and shape those biases people have when they see us and challenge those expectations and assumptions they have already built into their minds before they even meet us. You know, you don't come here to lose your identity, nor should you alter your identity just to fit in. You come here or you go any other part of the world to grow further, to explore new experiences, to broaden your perspective and you know so on. If you feel like you need to adjust yourself to fit in, then just remember you're actually giving into those negative aspects of being a person of color in a foreign country and you're letting them defeat you. And when you do that, 
you'll spend all your time trying to fit in. All your time here will be based on trying to fit in and you'll never get to keep growing the amazing person you already were. I really like that we are opening up the dialogue on this and that's why I asked what your lived experience was like, right? Because everybody's experience is different and there are of course similar themes around everybody's experience and often at times I have received advice from people who are not persons of color on how to integrate better at the workforce and in society, the society which I live in today, which is fine because it really depends on the place where it comes from, whether it's really genuine advice versus another agenda behind the advice. And different places have different ways of integration. I, for example, have lived in France, in the USA, in Asia, and now currently I live in Germany. And integrating in every place and fitting in, adapting, whatever that means for the person, in every place has its own challenges. And I think that integration in Germany for the long term happens very much through the language today, even if you are in an English-speaking job. And there is a lot of work which is being done on that aspect as well. But I do feel that when it comes to the intersectionality of gender and race, that's where a lot of work still needs to be done because there are different diversity dimensions that are really not at the same level. There is one diversity dimension which maybe could disadvantage somebody from the so-called glass ceiling effect, but there is actually another diversity dimension that stands out and could actually get people killed. And that's what the topic of diversity And the topic of integration, inclusivity and belonging makes it so difficult to be properly addressed. And I want to ask you, if you're open to share, did you have experiences with racism and what kind of microaggressions, maybe which are more subtle acts of exclusion and discrimination, did you have to face in your journey living in different countries so far? Yeah, yeah, of course, I'm happy to share. And I think I'm going to point out three examples that happened to me. And the reason I'll point these three out is because these are the ones that really made me stop and think and really made me realize, like I'd mentioned earlier, I was naive to it for a while. And they really made that concept sink into my head that my skin color, my sex, they were going to play an effect in my life here. The first one would be a very kind of minor one, really straight up racism, I would say. I was once just on the train station waiting for my train to arrive. And there was a man standing next to me, a German man, and he politely actually asked me if I could please stand somewhere else. And I asked him, what do you mean? I mean, the the whole train station was almost empty, to be honest. So it was only us two. And he told me that he didn't want me to stand next to him because he doesn't like people like me. We come here to stand steal jobs from people like him. Now, looking back at it and really growing on on what happened and reflecting on it in a more mature mindset and after being here for some time and realizing what was going on, it really made me realize that there is a lot of internal aggression here. 
a lot in Germany and there's a lot of internal hate towards new people coming in. And, you know, I'm sure people have their reasons. It's, that doesn't excuse the behavior. But there is a system that people here grow up in that really fosters that belief in their mind that when somebody's new, they're coming to take rather than coming to add value to your country. And I think that internal anger really is pushed out then on foreigners like me who come here. And I think that's, of course, not right at all. But that moment did make me realize that wow, people here actually don't see me as, you know, Sarah, happy-go-lucky, running around, just trying to get my life together. They actually see me as a threat. And that was a real shocker for me that I would come off to anyone as a threat, not because of who I am or my beliefs or anything, but simply because of the color of my skin. And that really, really shocked me. And yeah, it was a turning point for how I approached everything here. Then my second example would actually, I think this is such a funny story, actually. Um, and I was once with my partner who is German. He had dropped me with his car at a friend's place and he parked and stayed in the car. Now he had a drop top car. So the roof was down. I believe they're called drop tops. I'm not such a car person, but his roof was down. So you could see him clearly in the car if you were just walking on the street. And I had gone up to pick up something for my friend. Then I came down and I was walking across the street to the car. And as I'm walking across the street, approaching his car, a Turkish man actually asks me, he's on the other side of the street on my partner's side of, of the car, like where he would be sitting as a driver. And he asked me in German, could I use your phone, please? I need to call someone and I don't have minutes on my phone. And I didn't hear him properly because I was still walking to that side of the street and there were cars in between. So I asked him again, sorry, could you repeat that in German? And then he looked down. Now he's right next to my boyfriend. He has no yet association that I am linked to this person in any way. And he looks at my partner and he goes, you know, never mind. And then he asked my partner the same question. And then I'm just standing there looking at him and he's looking at me. Then he looks at my partner and, you know, he goes, well, look at this stupid foreigner. She doesn't even understand what I'm saying. And my partner looks up at him and says, um, that's my girlfriend. <laughs> and he was just in shock. You could see the shock in his face. And that moment really, it was so offensive to me, but I was able to really laugh it off right after because you know, he was a foreigner too. I'm sure he was born here, but he, he was Turkish. He wasn't of white race or anything like that. But it was like this moment that I realized that even the people who are, maybe their parents moved here and they were born here, they're also really, really still trying hard to fit in because they're not German by race, so to say. So, so, you know, he looked at me and saw me as a punching bag to insult me and make fun of me to an, a German person, almost like to seek validation as like, hey, me and you are in this together. They are somebody else. Whereas in my eyes, I looked at him and saw me and you are in this together. We are, we both have darker skin. We're not Germans. It was such a, a mind shift for me because I never expected something like that to be done to me at that point by someone who wasn't specifically German. And that also made me realize that, you know, I can be anything I want to be. I can showcase anything I want to showcase and speak in any way, even if I'm speaking German or I'm speaking English. But the moment somebody who's grown up here sees me, they're just going to judge me and look at me as a, in quote, quote, in his words, stupid foreigner. And that was really, really hurtful for me because I looked at him and I saw a fellow foreigner, whereas he looked at me and he saw a stupid foreigner. And that also really sunk in that, you know, looking at the comparison between my, my partner and I was that, you know, he's German. He's going to get all the respect in the world because he has white skin. He has the white features. 
And even though career-wise, I was in a much more advanced place than he was um, because he, he was a student still at the time, I was going to be looked at as below him just because of our races. And I think that that was like one of those moments of realization again that, wow, this is really going to play an effect on everything in my life. And the third example I have was actually a woman I met one day at a cafe who worked for a company, high company. She was, you know, talking to me and she was German herself. She was trying to get to know me. And then, you know, she told me at the end of our conversations, you're going to have three problems here in Germany. One is going to come because you're a woman. The second is because you're black. And the third is because you're an introvert. And that was also, I mean, that wasn't any racism to a sense, but that interaction made me realize that so even people who are much older, who are in really high places in their companies, know this problem is here. And instead of trying to fix it, instead of trying to foster a better culture with the people causing the racism, they put that problem on the people who are facing the racism and say, you're going to face this problem so I can help you learn how to deal with it. Well, I don't think that's how it should be. You should be helping other people learn how to tackle their microaggressions, tackle their biases, tackle their racism, not trying to teach us how to deal with it. And those three examples really, I think when I think back today, played a big role in who I am today here. And I'm really sorry that you had these experiences, but at the same time, I'm also going to thank you for articulating your experiences not in the way of these experiences happened to you, but the reflections which you had on these experiences and what you made out of it. And I resonate so much with what you've said. Maybe I've not had the exact experiences which you've had, but I can speak for a lot of persons of color who maybe have had different experiences, but have had the same effect of these experiences. So thank you for sharing those experiences with the audience today. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's important to talk about these things and make them aware because people do need to know that we don't come here, you know, to steal something from anyone. We don't come here to take something from anyone. We're we're here just the same way you're here. We, we just are building our lives and building our experiences and it shouldn't be seen as a threat to anybody. And, and, and people shouldn't, in general, not just, you know, Germans to foreigners, anyone, we shouldn't judge people based on just the first thing we see, based on their skin color, their sex. We should listen and talk to people and grow from other people, learn from them and really grow from the experiences we have with them. And I think people are missing out so much on that here because they're just judging as a first instinct. Another comment I'm going to make is that you talked about the experiences and experiences from maybe other foreigners I think there was a lot of misinterpretation of what a foreigner actually means. And a lot of the times the internalized experiences of maybe other persons of color, which, for example, you had in your second example, could maybe make this behavior more understandable. But having said that, that doesn't justify the behavior. And this really needs to change. And the third comment I'm going to make is that this is the harsh reality and yes, this is a reality, but does that mean that that has to be accepted? I really don't think that is the case. I mean, there is a need for better representation, but with the representation, there is a need for more authority and more drive to change the system and processes which are in place. And this doesn't happen if there is a lack and a gap of representation at all levels. And 
The psychological aspect when it comes to these topics is immense. Recently, I also had a fantastic lady. Her name is Dr. Monica Cox on the show. And she came on the show to talk about diversity and the authenticity of diversity and how it also relates to some aspects, for example, of mental health and the psychological aspect of that. And, you know, mental health is a topic today. All companies are looking at, all persons are looking at it today. Well-being, mental health, psychological safety at the workplace, these are all topics. But opening up the dialogue on the impact of race, gender, or any other kind of discrimination on psychological aspects of the mental health is super, super important. And I still think that there's such a big gap on these topics when it comes to the whole topic of diversity. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I I really agree with that because I think when we look at how these things affect people, we see that even judging from my experience is that, you know, an angry system makes angry people. When people come to your country and they're seeking opportunities and experiences and they're met with certain microaggressions, they start as well to channel those microaggressions to other people, which is a perfect example with with the guy in the car. And, you know, like his parents came to this country looking for opportunities. And I'm assuming, like I said, he was born here and, and raised here, but but he's faced those aggressions. So now he's channeling them to other people. And it just creates this vicious cycle. And then when we look at people's mental health, when it comes to that, it's not good for anyone. It's not good for the aggressor or the one facing the aggression. I think nobody benefits from having an angry and hostile mentality towards other people, because at the end of the day, as human beings, we are social creatures. We thrive when we can get along with our communities, when we can, we survive when we can get along with our communities. We need each other and we need to support each other. And that shouldn't be divided by race or any other form of discrimination. As human beings, we should all be supporting each other. And that's just it. And and I know that even for me personally, I went through a phase where I was quite angry and I saw it affected my mental health, where when I would walk outside my door, there would always be a guard up, a very defensive, a very angry guard, because I knew that at any moment I could be attacked by somebody for my race, you know, verbally. I could be put down for my race. And I knew that it started to be like, I'll be walking down the street and I think everybody that's looking at me is seeing this picture of me that isn't really who I am. And that affects so much of your mental health that puts you in such a dark place. And I think that that is something, you know, as a community, as a country, anywhere in the world, that is something we should be trying to fix and shift the culture into a more positive, welcoming and supportive culture. I completely agree. And to add to that, I also think it's a global issue, especially I know that there is a mixed school of thought, especially when the Black Lives Matter movement started. A lot of people said that, you know what, this is a U.S. issue. This is this doesn't happen in Europe. This doesn't happen in Asia. And when I heard these kind of thoughts and these kind of voices, that really disappointed me and to some extent also frustrated me because that's also the time when I started the podcast in terms of having this mission to really elevate diverse voices and to make sure that there is a lot of awareness and engagement on topics which are really not spoken about and which rather are socioeconomic issues which don't have a clear responsible or a clear accountable in that sense. But still, these are topics which really impact the society which we are living in today and are so relevant. And 
if these topics are really understood, addressed, then a real change can happen. And it is everybody's responsibility to get themselves more educated and aware of those topics. And that's how also the podcast started. And I know that we talked a lot about diversity. And on my podcast, I cover both the topics of digitalization and diversity because diversity is a big topic. And I explore in what ways technology and digitalization can help on one side to create more opportunities for diverse people, but on the other side, also provide enough resources, knowledge, upskilling opportunities, development, and even support for for diverse groups of people. And have you leveraged technology and digitalization to create opportunities for yourself? Absolutely. Um, but I, I just wanted, before I get into that, I wanted to make a comment about something you, you just had previously said. You know, I think when we look at any industry, studies have shown that diverse workforce, a diverse workforce, diverse team benefits in, in the company's profit because you have different perspectives, better ideas, bigger ideas, right? We, we all know that the studies show it. Diversity benefits any company. So we need to look at that in the scale of our countries as well, rather than looking at it from a point that too many people from different cultures are coming into my country. We need to look at it as, you know, diversity benefits. It's not, it doesn't just benefit organizations and companies, it benefits countries. And when people are coming in and we're blocking them away from opportunities, we're simply stunting the growth of our own countries and economies because these people, we're bringing new perspectives, we're bringing new ideas, we're bringing different mindsets. And that all in turn helps an economy grow bigger, grow better. But when we're not giving people the opportunities to actually help us grow our economies, you know, the country itself ends up suffering. So it's kind of like, you know, a message to anyone who's a local in their country, who's from that country, look at diversity as a way of helping your own country rather than an attack on your country, you know? So um, when it comes to leveraging technology and digitalization, of course, I think it's such an important way to create opportunities for yourself. I think technology and digitalization really enable what you can bring into your life. The first most important one for me would be that it's helped me build my brand and has made that brand accessible to anyone anywhere in the world. And I did that through LinkedIn, I think as we all do, because, you know, we always say LinkedIn is like your online CV, but my profile is a reflection of who I am, what my interests are and what I've decided to dedicate my life and career to. And this has helped me a lot when it comes to finding new opportunities beyond the scope that I already have and being found for opportunities, whether that be job opportunities, opportunities for visibility, or for example, being able to sit here and have this episode with you, which by the way, again, I'm so honored to be able to be here and talk to you about all of this. So I think tech and digitalization have also made it really easy to grow your interests and improve them. So for example, I recently picked up an interest in graphic designing. And although I'm still learning, of course, I've been able to learn faster through online tools, as well as share my work online with my network and get feedback from it, which is so vital as well. And just beyond even my interests, I'm also able to grow my knowledge on different topics through learning platforms like just, you know, LinkedIn learning, for example. Everything is just so accessible and you can really foster a habit of knowledge retention and growth at a much faster scale. And you can scale it to be whatever you want it to be. And, you know, I don't need to now go to university and get a degree, for example, in graphic designing. I can self-learn at my pace and learn to the level 
I need, which keeps me flexible and removes any risk. Because if I was to go study and get a degree for it, I would need to consider a lot of things like expenses, the time, would it be worth it? Am I even sure I want a career in this? Or is it just something I want to be included as a small part of my career? So I think tech and digitalization make it really easy for you to find your interests, tailor them and grow in them, as well as grow your brand. I also think networking is so important and Technology and digitalization heavily enables that. You know what they say that your network is your net worth. And I'm, I'm a true believer in that. And I think with tech and digitalization, you can maximize that network to a global reach without ever needing to even leave your home. I also, you know, have been able to join online communities, for example, that reflect my interests and these are communities that I wouldn't be able to find in my local town or even state probably. So it's allowed me to be included where normally that would have been impossible. And lastly, I would say that it's helped me in finding guidance and giving guidance. So whether that be through mentorship or anything else, but with social media, you can connect with all kinds of people and get a chance to learn from them. Whereas maybe without social media, you never would even get a chance to be in connection with these people. So tech and digitalization really enables a culture of learning and growing and constant growth, which I think is vital because that opens opportunities for you. Meeting new people and connecting with them opens opportunities for you. You know, sharing what you do opens opportunities for you. And with digitalization and tech, you get to do that at such a global scale. I think we could do a full episode actually to break down all the ways digitalization can help to improve diversity because you had quite a good points in your answer. Because you are Black in tech, there are so many initiatives out there. Where is women in tech and Black in tech headed? And what is the future outlook for it looking like today? Well, I'm also LGBTQ plus in tech. So I always make the joke that I'm a minority times three. <laughs> but <laughs> I think in my opinion, um, they're heading towards equal representation and equal opportunities for all. They're heading to a place where we can look at our leaders and see real representation. And they're heading towards no one feeling like they have to act differently to be accepted in any, any industry. And the elimination of quotas and initiatives, because they shouldn't be needed for equal opportunities and fairness. And once we reach that point, we're not going to need those types of things. So I think they're also heading towards more young people from minority groups feeling like the tech industry especially is somewhere where they belong and deserve to be in and somewhere where they can make an impact without their own race or their own sexuality or whatever it may be holding them back. So essentially, I think these kinds of initiatives are empowering us. They're making us question our biases because, you know, we should be thinking about why do we even need these initiatives to exist in the first place? Well, they exist because they're a form of a solution of a problem. And I think in the long run, they will empower groups of people to be able to be their authentic self, even if they're the only one in the room that looks different. And once we have that ability to not let things like race or sex affect how we need to act to make it and also affect how we are seen by others, we can say that we've reached a place of true equality. And that comes with people being able to be empowered and people learning to empower. So these initiatives give us a chance to be empowered. They give us a chance for allyship and for people to learn about the struggles others have to go through, others that maybe don't look like them. And with that understanding, we can make a more we can be more sympathetic and understanding with, with each other and hopefully enable a culture of support and love. As a closing question. Is there a final message that you would like to leave for the listeners? 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of messages I I would give people, you know, based on different things. But the most important tool that has worked for me is never shy away from who you are and make it as loud as possible. You know, I am an introvert by nature, but when it comes to my brand, when it comes to my views, my morals, my beliefs, I am loud about them because I think it's important to be loud about these kinds of things, especially when you're trying to make a change and a shift in society and the mentality of our societies. So be loud about what you believe, build your brand around what you believe and never shy away from who you are just because you may be different from everyone around you. That makes you unique. You know, me being different, me being a minority has actually, it's come with its challenges, of course, but it's benefited me a lot. It's benefited me in the sense that I stood out. And when you stand out and When people can see you, you can actually challenge things. You can be heard and you can make a difference. So I think use your voice, stand out, don't be worried. You know, even growing up, I've heard things from my own family, for example, and and bless them, it was never in any bad intent, but it was their way of knowing to survive. But for example, my aunt once told me, don't wear your Afro to the office, you know, make sure you straighten your hair so it resembles more a white person's hair. My own mom has, you know, before told me like, don't come off too aggressive about race. You don't want to come off as the angry black woman. And it's like, of course, in, in their times, it was even worse, right? It was a much worse time for them. And they had to alter so much about who they are to the point that they were altering their appearance just to fit in, to be accepted and to be able to just excel a bit, not even at the same pace as their white counterparts. So I think we're now at a point where so many things are being challenged. Our mentalities and beliefs are being challenged. What we accept and what we clearly put off as this is wrong, all those things are being challenged. So now is really the time to put your voice out there and contribute to challenging people's minds. Because if we don't challenge people, people stay comfortable. And when people stay comfortable, no real change comes from that. And to add to that, I'm going to ask anyone listening to this podcast, especially persons of color, to embrace being called difficult, to embrace being called aggressive, frustrated, vocal, outspoken, because you still need to make sure that your voice is heard and find the right platform to make sure that your voice is being heard because you do fit in the society today and you belong as equally as another person. Sarah, it has been such a pleasure to speak with you. I am so glad that we got connected. How can the listeners find you and connect with you? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn, Sarah Borda. Um, should I spell it out? It's pretty an easy name, Sarah, then B-O-R-D-A. Find me there. I'm happy to connect. I love having these kinds of conversations and knowledge sharing. I think that's so important for everybody. So yeah, I'm happy to connect. And it was such an honor to be able to be here and speak with you today. And thank you so, so, so much for creating this platform so people's voices can be heard. I think you're a true change maker. You're paving a path. You're creating a platform for voices to be heard. And that's a big part of making a difference. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thanks to all the listeners for listening in. As usual, I would love to hear your feedback on the episode. So please reach out on LinkedIn or Instagram or leave a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please also reach out in case you have any ideas or topics which you would also like me to cover in the next episodes to come. Stay tuned for the next episode as we dig deeper into another topic to explore the power of digitalization to improve diversity. Till next time.